0: Hello, my name is Adam Eason. Welcome to episode 12 of Hypnosis Weekly. Hypnosis friends and a warm welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. Once again, in my own highly biased opinion, I think I have a winning ultra-marathon of a show lined up for you today. Hypnosis Weekly takes a slight detour from its usual schedule and set-up today. We have a special edition dedicated to the use of hypnosis for running. In a short while I'll be sharing with you an interview with the multi world record holding ultra runner William Sitchell. Then I'll be looking at the hypnosis in the news stories, examining the media where hypnosis has featured. I'm going to offer up some personal subjective commentary on the ways hypnosis is portrayed in the media, but also comment on some of the content of those media stories. I'll then going to be talking about some of the things that are mentioned in the William Sitchell interview briefly thereafter. We'll round things off with the hypnosis factoid of the week before I bid you farewell for another week. This podcast is something that I want to encompass a feeling of embracing diversity, celebrating the field of hypnosis and encouraging friendly, professional, enjoyable discussion and debate, as well as doing its best to inform and educate. If you have questions, queries, thoughts or feedback, do get in touch via the Hypnosis Weekly website. All the references made in the discussions, along with the related links, are posted at each episode on the website www.hypnosis-weekly.com. You can add your thoughts, comments and make any suggestions there too please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else to help us reach more of the hypnosis community. It's greatly appreciated. And also, if you get a chance, do give us a rating on iTunes. It'll help us greatly. Now, first of all today, then, is this week's interview. I'm absolutely thrilled. I mean, thrilled to be welcoming William Sitchell to Hypnosis Weekly today. William aimed to set 60 ultra-running distance records before his 60th birthday, which he succeeded in doing. He has since then set himself the target of 165 records by the time he is 65. When you read his list of achievements as an ultra-runner, it is potentially as exhausting as the very nature of the events that he competes in. William holds the British record for the famous Badwater Marathon of 31 hours, 36 minutes and 12 seconds. He holds the Scottish record for running the 24-hour Spartathlon race of 29 hours, a minute and 29 seconds. He holds a variety of records for running 100-mile races, 48-hour races, 6-day races, 1,000-kilometre races, 1,000-mile races... And his most recent feat was being the first British man to ever complete the 3100, a 3,100-mile 3,100 road race that took William 52 days, averaging around 62 miles of running um, um, each day. Him and I crossed paths online in 2013, 2013, when he started incorporating the use of self-hypnosis into his running and his training regimen, and he went on to advocate the use of self-hypnosis greatly. I was giddy with excitement the day him and I first contacted each other, and I continue to be so whenever I follow his progress and watch what he's doing. William's based in the Orkney Isles in northernmost Scotland, and I'm based on the south coast of England, and our connection had a couple of problems on occasion. Um, So excuse any odd, poor sound quality throughout this discussion, throughout this interview um, on the odd occasion, and there might be the, the odd jump where I've edited it. I think you'll love this interview if you're a runner. I think you'll love this interview if you're a hypnosis professional who works with any kind of athlete for advanced performance. I think you'll just love this interview whoever you are. So for now, go get comfy, my friends. Turn up the volume, sip on your tea, and enjoy this week's interview. So as I've just been discussing I'm absolutely delighted to have with me today the one and only multi-world record holding ultra runner William Sichel William welcome yeah thank you very much so um before before we start looking at the sort of psychological side of, of endurance running tell me tell me a little bit you know how, how did you get into running how you know what what's your background as far as running is concerned and how have you arrived at where you are now as far as this that multi-world record-holding ultra runner that you
1: are. Right. Yes. Okay. That's summing up quite a long period of time. Yes. <laughs> I suppose, yeah. I suppose, really, um, to put the running into context, I should I should really mention I did have a previous sporting life, um, in a totally different sport, which was table tennis. Right. <clears throat> that was it, and that was active during the 1970s, and I pursued that to the ends the ends of the earth, literally. Um, But, strangely enough, that that sporting life wasn't characterised by huge success. Um, And, in fact, when I retired from that in 1980, um, I was frustrated, I was disappointed because um, I hadn't managed to achieve the levels I wanted to in competition. Mm. Uh, I'd managed to do it in training and in practice, but I could not convert those skills into the competitive arena. So as I say, I wasn't a very happy bunny in 1980 when I retired from from that. and then I had a complete change of lifestyle. I moved um, thousands of miles north up to the Orkney Islands. And I, as far as I was concerned, I was a retired sportsman. Um, yeah. I started a new life up here. got married and all the rest of it. And um, as I say, my, my wife-to-be took me on as a an ex-sports person, <laughs> s- someone who was going to be a Sandy, an Orkney crofter, a small farmer. <laughs> yeah. And all that was in the past. Anyway, 10 years later, I found I had a bit of spare time on my hands and I saw the London Marathon on um, television in April 1992 and thought i will go for a run around the block. And, well, to put it in a (laughs) nutshell, I've been running ever since. Um, I've had really, I think to sum it up, I've had a a fairly steady 20-year progression from from that initial run around the block um, and then I did a half marathon that year, a marathon. Um, I suppose one of the key things that happened was in 1993 when I got a chance phone call to run become in Edinburgh where I used to get my bits and pieces and my mail order, my shoes and stuff. And I just happened to say to the owner, I didn't know who he was, I had no idea he had a background in ultra run anything like that. And I just said to him, oh, it's really odd because I keep banging out my 238 marathons and I'm not exhausted at the finish. Yeah. And it went it all went quiet at the other end. and He, <laughs> he sort of said, oh he said you might be an ultra runner and i said the classic words what do they do (laughs) and he said they keep going yeah Uh, and then he suggested that you know the following year that was 1994 there'll be the scottish championships and why didn't i have a go at it so i said you know how far is that and he said 100k 62 miles and it's in edinburgh i thought i said oh well i'll have a go and that was it and cut a long story short i went down i won the race and i was an ultra runner and um
0: Wow. From there,
1: yes, it was from then, yeah, it was a gradual progression. A bit like you mentioned, you know, Steve Way. I mean, he I was a regular member of the GB 100K team all the way through the 90s, right up to 2000. Um, but whilst I was doing that, as suggested by other runners, I did try other events. I tried a 24 hour race, um, I won that, and um, I was always open minded to other events, yeah. Um, and then in 1995, I did the sparse and I went on, I did um, bad water. <clears throat> just experimenting, yeah. trying events, trying out my, finding out what I was good at, really.
0: I feel exhausted just at the <laughs> the thought of Badwater, just at the thought of the Spartathlon. Um, um, and, and, you know, I, I find it really interesting, therefore, that, you know, that, that that step up as a result of the phone call. Did it, I mean, did that, because, was that natural for you? Did it feel comfortable for you?
1: Yeah, it was really odd because, um, <clears throat> obviously, 2.38 mouth, as you know, six minute miling, almost dead on. Yes, And um, when I did my first 100K, um, I started to race at six and a half minute miling, which obviously felt very comfortable. And I just found that um, if I slowed down a bit, I could run for hours. So it was like discovering a peculiar quirk of physiology (laughs) and psychology. I admit I was in agony at the end, my quads were anyway. And I did 801 for the first 100K. And yeah, uh, yeah, it was just discovering an ability I didn't know I had, you know. Of course, I still wouldn't have known if I hadn't tried it.
0: Yeah.
1: And as you mentioned, every time I tried something longer, I seemed to be a bit more successful at it. And that occurred, you know. And I did my first six-day race in 2006. I won that one, Um, and I went right up and to my the longest race until this year was the thousand-mile race I did in 2010. I didn't win that; I was second, but I did set world records um, for my age group.
0: So yeah,
1: a 20-year gradual progression, which is
0: which has just culminated in. I mean, you you said your longest race up until recently was the thousand, the thousand miler, which you came second in, um, which you say with some humility, I must say. But I mean, that has just been greatly eclipsed with your latest race, hasn't it?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mean, tell us a little bit about that.
1: That was, um, I mean, obviously, I'm always, even now, I'm still asking, you know, why did you do it? Why, you know, why is something completely off the 3, wall?
0: 3,100 3- miles. For those people that I'm are sp- listening, William ran 3,100 miles in a race. Um, I, um, yeah, t- tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, the background to it was, obviously, a year or two ago, I, I knew this year was going to be my 20th anniversary of, of when I started ultra distance running. And also, I was going to be 60 as well, so like a double Celebration. (laughs) And I was thinking, thinking, you know, what can I do? You know, something a bit different, something a bit off the wall, something to challenge me, perhaps not just my normal sort of multi day races. And for a long time, I had known about this. Um, They call it a 3100. So I'll I'll just refer to it as that. Uh, Um, I'd I'd known about this 3100 in New York. I knew it was the longest race of the type that I do, well, of any race actually. but I mean, I've always done, I've never been like an ultra trail and I've always done road and track and that sort of thing because I had, yeah, as, I, as I said, I came from a road and marathon background. Um, but I never thought I could do it because I thought, well, how can I ever get two months off? I'm self-employed, a business would collapse, um, probably my marriage as well. You know, so, <laughs> um, and so I just, although I followed it and I I knew about it, I just thought, it well, was something I could never do. But anyway, one or two things fell into place and I suddenly realized I could do it and might be able to do it. And 18 months before, I actually made the decision that I was going to do that event. Um, And then I started getting worried about it. Um, So, yeah, that was the background to it. That's why I did it yeah and um as you know i i went and did it and i finished it and i did do it yes
0: i mean i i i followed your progress avidly i was i was following your twitter updates your facebook updates i was you know i was i was cheering you on um um, i i doubt you were able to hear me but i was cheering you on and and seeing your progress and and again um i I found it tiring just reading reading your progress um, um each day incredible stuff so um um T- tell me a little bit about the kind of psychological side of things, then, because you know th- th- there must be some some kind of psychological characteristic that you need just to run an ultra marathon in the first instance. Let alone some of the incredibly long endurance races that you perform in. Can you tell me a little bit about the kind of psychological characteristics that you believe are needed for that kind of for that kind of performance and that kind of race?
1: I think you need you need um. I think people in the sport, they're definitely curious about themselves. You know, they've got this, um, innate curiosity about what, I mean, that certainly that was one of of Mm. my most, one of my basic things was I was always extremely curious. I mean, I I always often refer to myself as like an experiment of one. Um, (laughs) you know, I I was always curious about what I could do and I still am, you know, nothing's changed. Could I do this? What would happen if I tried that? You know, I was was never frightened. Even, I mean, years ago, I was a very, very shy, extremely quiet person. Um, and But I did have this deep-seated a, a personal curiosity. Could I? What would happen if I ran that fast or that far? You know, how would it be? And I think yeah. that that underlies a lot of what I've done in ultra running, and also um, you do need to know quite a lot about yourself. I mean, in these very long races, you get—I always say—you get asked a lot of questions, and you do need to have the answers. Otherwise, you—you know—you just stop. You—you you, yeah. you, you don't go. You don't carry on. But well, I've, well, seen, of course, I've yeah. yeah, I mean, I've seen so many. I've been in so many races. Where people drop out, I mean in main most races, there's a huge dropout, yeah, percentage and ultra running, and most of most of the dropouts have nothing to do with physical I think it's psychological yeah. people forget why they're doing it or they lose the lose motivation or they just just forget why they're there and what they're trying to achieve um other things, I think obviously you do need um a big commitment you yeah. need committed to what you're doing um and physically you do need a robustness that you don't probably need in even in marathon running um yeah. you need. Yeah, because with the training and we're just doing the races, you have to have the ability to better keep going physically and not just break down every little niggle and ache and pain. So I would say, I think robustness is quite a good word to use to describe that all-round physical ability, um, which I think sort of maybe like a pure runner might sort of be breaking down in much earlier stages of a long race where you do need this ruggedness, if you like. Um yeah um yeah and
0: have you found that that curiosity has has therefore I mean the curiosity that you had I mean I mean I, I find that fascinating because you know I, I, as, as I was putting these questions together and as I was asking that question today you know curiosity I'll be honest was was, was not on my list of things I was expecting you to come up with the oh, yeah. curiosity then has has informed you has it um with reg- and, and informed you with regards to some of your capabilities and that kind of degree of information um um, that you have about yourself so on um is is what enables you to do what you do
1: I think very very much so I mean I to be honest I'm just as curious now as a 61 year old as I was when I was a 13 year old and um but I you know it took me a while to recognize that what I was feeling was this personal curiosity but I think yeah I think it does um you know affects you and and underlines everything you're doing
0: yeah yeah what I find interesting, and what I know from my own experience um, with with runners and my own experience of, of marathon running, for example, is is motivation um, as well during during the, the training and that the, the large amount of training that's required for such long endurance races. Um, I mean, you know, how do you stay motivated during training and then also during the very long races? Um, you, you know, you know that the, the, the six-day races, the twenty-four-hour races, and you know the the the, the thirty-one hundred. You know what, what what inspires you? What what drives you to keep going within those?
1: Yeah, really good question. Um, certainly, in the past, I always used to describe as, "Oh yes, William, yeah, he's very motivated." I, always, I mean, I'm tremendously highly motivated, and obviously, I am. But then I thought, well, hang on, you know, I'm not motivated twenty-four hours a day. You know, no up here in Orkney on the you know, January morning, getting up at half past six and going for a long run. No, I'm not, I don't really feel fantastically motivated. Mm. So I thought, well, hang on, you know, what, what is it then? Why am I? Why do I appear to be so highly motivated? And I think what now I tend to say is that um, it's the commitment I've got. It's all based on... Can you still hear me? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I've got a screen came up. Um, so now I prefer to, I, I refer to it, it really as i I think what I've got is based on my commitment to what i'm trying to achieve, so it's and I think that's a much more stable um attitude having having um, or, um ability being yeah. totally committed i mean all of us in our normal lives our know, children are committed to going to school whether they want to or not you know we as adults we commit to work and relationships, whether we wouldn't necessarily feel like it every day or not, yeah and I think for myself the It's my level of commitment, which is driving me on. And I think that is based largely on goal setting and having very, very clear ideas of why I'm doing anything. Why why, do I do in the morning? Or if anything to do with running related, I know why I'm doing it, where I'm trying to go, what I'm trying to achieve. And I think that that is a more reliable um, ability, this commitment, rather than motivation, which can be a bit fickle. I mean, I think everyone knows that. No one's like motivated 24 hours a day every day no no So i I would say i would probably veer it over towards levels of commitment and which is based on very clear goal setting yeah uh, rather than just to um motivation which can be a bit um, unreliable at times
0: and so are your goals are your goals sort of aimed at the specific events that you're working for or are they aimed at your own kind of individual performance expectations or I, i suppose at your level at times you must must be setting out I, I know i read i mean i've read so much of your stuff um i read once that you were you know you were setting out to hit a certain amount of world records for example um um that 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 seems like a really big sort of quite a macro goal um um, um yet i'm guessing there are there are sort of goals within that that you have as well
1: oh yeah very much so yeah the macro goal yeah is like a moment it's project 165 um, to try and get 165 records before I'm 65, but obviously <laughs> as you say that, I think what way this developed was while, when I was building up, when as I say, I was gradually developing an ultra running when you're doing like a hundred K races and up to 24 hours, you can be, you can aim at GB teams, Scottish teams, um, which is great. And that does provide, that provides goals in itself, trying to get, make the, the GB team for certain races. Yeah. Like, once you go longer than that, then it is very much an individual sport, um, so I found myself, especially when I came into six-day running and I was winning races, I was getting high world rankings and doing some big distances. It's really a case of, oh, well, you know, sort of what now? And obviously there's no team to aim for. Um, so how was that? And I also I've want—I i really, I've always really enjoyed the ultra running. And I wanted to stay in the sport. And um, in every sense, I'm physically I was fine. And mentally I enjoyed the lifestyle. I went with it and it does go with it. So it was a case of, you know, how do I what do I base my goals on now? And that's when, and when I did actually first set a few records, that's when I thought, well, hang on, maybe I can base it on, use the record setting as my main goal yeah. and focus in my focus in the sport. So yes, yeah, so when I go into a race, I will have um, very specific sort of records I'm going for. Um, and then you just see how obviously it pans out in the race. But yeah, so the, the, the overall project for a number of records is like a macro goal. Yeah, uh, but very much I'm focused on the, the the intermediate goals, and that's that's how I do all my goal setting.
0: And yeah, I mean, for anybody listening, particularly anybody uh, a runner or, or or therapists, for example, you know, working with clients that are runners, um, um, this is this this is incredibly important to hear directly from you. The importance of of, of setting goals and using them to, to 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 sort of fuel the motivation. I think that's um, invaluable to hear. Um, you know, if you get a bit more specific now, then, with regards to, you know, your own regimen, um, um, could you give us some some insight into the kind of psychological techniques or strategies that you employ throughout your, your training regimen, not just perhaps during runs or when running, but throughout, you know, your, the schedule of your training, um, your races, and perhaps even when you're resting?
1: OK, yeah, I mean... Um... Put again, putting this into context, I think I, I mean I have worked with sports psychologists in the past. Yeah. Um. I think the first time was 2000, but yeah, but just over 10 years ago. And to be honest, they took me through what I would call the sort of the the, the bread and butter of sports psychology. Yeah. Uh, which was fine. It gave me a background in the understanding of it. And then after that, I, I stumbled across some of your work through sort of on one of the running magazines, which again brought a new angle to the, the, the obviously the hypnosis side. Yeah. Um. The sort of things, yeah. I mean, I, I things like mantras. I, I've always been a big user of mantras. I like mantras. Um, I enjoy using them, and I think they are effective. They especially help you focus.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I do use a lot of self-talk actually, which yes. I would say without well, that is like mantras. Well, it is a bit, but um, especially in the thirty-one hundred ways, um, I used. Did you have to? Use, I had to use a lot of self-talk because what Perfect. I got... Because of the duration of that event, which was as I say it was an insane duration almost two months. Yeah. A lot of my techniques in a sense broke down because uh I, there was too much time to fill, I feel like.
0: Yeah.
1: I was running out of mantras, running out of things. <laughs> but um then I found there self talk. Um I think what I found with self talk, it can help to block any doubts. You can you know, you can keep telling yourself, oh, I can do this and um and literally sort of f- fend off any doubts that come into your mind. Yeah. Um, so mantras, um, self-talk, um, I do use some visualization Like before I go to a race, especially if I've never been there before. I like to get, get videos or pictures of the course and just try and imagine myself being in that environment. Um, I do this, um, I mean, I try to enhance my awareness um, and then be aware of moving that sense of awareness around the body. So... I might, if something's hurting, I would take my say. My feet were hurting, for example. I'd move
0: my awareness to my hands. Right, like like almost like distracting yourself. Yeah, yeah,
1: like like, like
0: distraction from that. Mm. Yes,
1: be aware of. Um, and then if I'm, for example, if I'm thinking about cadence, I'll I'll put my my awareness onto onto my foot strike. You know, just imagine my feet touching the ground. Um, so yeah, I'm moving my awareness around. Um, the other sorts of things um I mean when I'm in a race i you know i do I do convince myself that at that time that is the most important thing I'm doing in the whole world um interesting and yeah. I find that helps to give it the status it needs to, to produce performance you know you've got to, you have to just say with well, this you know there is nothing at this moment in time there is nothing more important than I'm doing and and I think that helps as you say to elevate what you're doing to the importance that it needs yeah uh, and also it can be useful. I mean, I found this actually this year, with again, with the, I'll always refer to coming back to the 3100. But if the event itself has got some other significance, not just your personal athletic goals. Um, and for, for me this year, I worked very closely with a, a cancer charity locally. And that that involved, that developed quite nicely, actually. And um, I found actually knowing, they what they did very briefly was they had a challenge William Project running at the same time as the race was on. With, with ordinary people just doing whatever they felt able to do running, walking, swimming, cycling.
0: Great! So, um, I was imagining all these people, yeah,
1: doing their stuff whilst I was doing the race, you know. So, if I was having doubts about continuing or not enjoying it, I thought, Oh god, you know, yeah. there's, there's all those other people doing this, I can't just come home with the tail between my legs. You know? so, no, so, so the giving your event some other significant can be a positive, um prop if you like to, to, yeah. your own, to your own performance
0: i find that fascinating i i find all of the, the 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 things that you've discussed they're fascinating and um you know i have a certain degree of familiarity with some of it i i i have found with my own running for example um that that sometimes if i'm not actively engaging with with what what's happening in my head um then 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 then, then doubts it becomes a fertile breeding ground for doubt yeah. or, 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 or things. So if I'm not actively engaging in a mantra or, or, or good progressive self-talk or mental imagery, for example, um, and, and I just kind of let and become passive with regards to what's happening in my mind that's the time when i have doubts or that's the time when i might consider cutting a training run short or something like that did yeah. you did, did did have you ever found something similar or have you ever you know prior to the kind of sports psychology um, um education that you had you know did you did you find that 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 was ever an issue for you
1: yes i think it was yes i mean it I mean, obviously, when I came into the, started learning about sports psychology, you're you're very quickly faced with things like dissociation and association. Yes. Um, And then I found, I I soon learned, actually, I was the sort of person that needed to associate all the time. Um, I mean, I know I've been in the sport a long time, but when I came in, there weren't these little handy MP3 players and things. No. Um, And to be honest, I've never, ever taken to them. I mean, I noticed in the 3100 race, only two runners out of the 14 didn't use them. And like, I was one. Yeah. Um and people often inquired about why I wasn't using them and um and to me I have to you know, to me the oh, using MP three that's a dissociation that's a dissociate, you're distracting yeah, yourself. Absolutely. But for me, for whatever reason, that doesn't work for me, I need to associate totally. Otherwise, like you mentioned, your mind can wander off, you can get doubts coming in. And to perform at my best, I just I need to develop ways of associating virtually all the time. Like, yeah. Um Maybe that is a weakness. I don't know, but I mean, no, no quite I,
0: the contrary. I think that there there is evidence, there is research to show that um, um, uh, elite marathon runners, for example, tend to adopt an associative strategy, that is, where they tune into themselves to know to know their limits, as opposed to people at my level and club runners and fun runners, for example, tend to find it easier to, d- to dissociate themselves because they're not pushing themselves so greatly that yeah. they're, they're yeah. A- able. They have. Um, um that you know they may be able to um uh, distract themselves accordingly um and because they're not pushing themselves to such a limit um and it's probably not as important for example um so that's a really interesting point to hear um now um William, I, I, I know that you've, you, you, you made some reference to self-hypnosis then, um, um, there was a fa- fabulous article in the newspaper about you using it, I, I championed the article and I've often championed you as such a great um, ambassador for, for the subjects that, that I have such a love of. Do, do you use self-hypnosis when you are running um, 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 or, or is it just in preparation or, or how how is your application of self-hypnosis?
1: Well, yeah, basically, yeah, both of those things, yeah. I definitely use it in, um, what I do is I sort of schedule it as part of my weekly routine and I use, um, mental preparation of which a lot of it is self-hypnosis. Yeah. And also during races, I mean, what I, I mentioned about focusing so much on, you know, association on myself, um, when I call it focused attention, um, and that's what I've become really good at is this very, very high level of focused attention. And I think that, I think you've mentioned it in some of your books and things, in a way that is sort of self-hypnosis, it becomes, you get into a state like self-hypnosis by having a very high level of focused attention on something. Yes. Um, one of the things I I really do focus on is my breathing as well, I didn't mention that just now, but focus attention on the breathing
0: yes. can
1: occupy you, if you like, for hours at a time, you know, I mean, Days <laughs> absolutely like, like,
0: like mindfulness, a mindfulness yes. process. Yeah, yes.
1: and um, yeah, you know, but other people in races ask me how I. I seem to be just like staring ahead and like almost like a glazed look in my eyes, <laughs> and that is my focused attention, which I which I do. Yes, I, I mean, what I do is I flick in and out of it. I mean, I if I am talking to my crew, and obviously I've come out of it, and then I flick back in the second I I've stopped talking to them. So you you develop the uh, the ability to flick in uh, into this and flick out of it. Um but basically that will un- that would be my especially when i 'm running i'm getting into that state really as much as i possibly can um yeah. focused attention, which i would say is 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 a hypnotic state yeah uh, regarding um yes yeah, when i'm in training as it were in normal life and in my sort of schedule um i do well, wait, 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 to be honest, I use your MP3 series. I mean, I find I, u- I find I'm using that. I'm repeatedly listening to it, and I get something something different out of it each time.
0: Yeah, um, I, 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 and that in turn then becomes um, 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 a sort of more more practical skill that you then apply whilst running.
1: That's it. I find that if you rehearse it in your normal training, then it helps. Um, It helps uh, fix the ideas into your mind, which you can then use when you're actually running. I mean, the ones I like, I mean, I use the ones on relaxation. Um, You have got that one about um, mud and the detox one. The mud and detox. I mean, the the associative strategy, which we've already talked about. Um, You've got an MP3 there, which is very useful. Um, The perceived level of exertion.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the the perceived level of effort, for example, is one of the areas that, that hypnosis is is really really has has the most impressive evidence to support its application with that is yeah. um, um and, I, and i think people like yourselves are such a great advertisement for um, um what people are capable of doing and i think that a lot of people convince themselves when they're running because their bodies their body's aching or something and telling them they convince themselves that they're therefore not capable of going faster and so on and people the outstanding Runners of this world, such as yourself, that are able to, to to kind of push on despite what your body is telling you, um, and, and know your limits and know what your body's actually capable of, because we're far more capable than we realise a lot of the times. Yeah. You know, so yeah. a lot of people just run to to pop a letter in the post box, and their body, you know, their legs start getting tired, and they start thinking, "Oh, you know, I'm so unfit," and and will talk themselves out of running back from the post box, for yeah. example. Yet they'd be far more capable of, of, you know, they're very capable of running there and running back, you know. Yeah. And, and the same is true with with marathon runners, with ultra runners, how they react and respond to what's happening within their mind. And so this kind of being able to affect and alter our perceived level of effort is, is something that, that self-hypnosis um, um, is really capable of doing and, and has some really good evidence to support. So, uh, you know, I'm delighted that you said that you said that. Um, can you tell us a little bit about you know when when you had that article, for example, or, or those that are close to you ask you about it, um um how, how do you explain hypnosis to people that ask you about it? Because I think obviously despite, you know, people like myself making a big effort, um um it's still perceived in a very particular way and it's still shrouded in myth and misconception. Um um how do you explain hypnosis to people that ask you about it? What's your kind of, and then perhaps you could tell us a little bit about your own subjective experience of of self hypnosis.
1: Yes, um, I mean, I, as I've mentioned before, I've always maintained that the sort of mental side of running, or well, any sport for that matter, is grossly underreported or under under discussed because people are so. I mean, I get probably out of all the questions I get, probably nine no ninety percent of them are about physical things, so how you what running, what's your miles, and this yeah. and other um whereas of course as we all know just looking at runners being in races seeing hearing people during and after races we know that the the mental side of it is really everything you know yeah um, yeah Well, when i if i'm asked about it i always describe it as again i always come back to this focused attention because i think that is uh for, for, i yeah. find it's a useful way of describing what it is it's nothing sort of magical i think a lot of people get muddled up with stage hypnotism yeah uh, i think it's something sort of for entertainment or something yeah but, uh, so they're quite surprised when I say I'm using it or I'm 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 doing it. And so I always describe it as focused attention on something. And I, usually for me, it's on breathing, yeah. uh, on my state. But I also describe it as a very pleasant state to be in. That's my experience of yeah. when I'm sitting in a chair at home or in a race. It is a, a very, very pleasant state. It's a lovely place to be in if you can get there. You know? <laughs> so, yeah.
0: But I, uh, I, I love to hear that. I love to hear that because... Um, you know, it showing and and again, you're such a great ambassador for this. Um, showing that it's it's something to actively actively engage in, um, and that it's so enjoyable at the same time, and that it can elicit and yield such benefit yeah. is 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 lovely to hear.
1: Yes, I mean definitely. As I say, um, I think um, uh, before, as I say, I came across your work. I I read things about something called flow, and I think. Flow, in a way, is sort of well, I could could be you can correct me, but I think flow probably is is, it's the same, it's it's this focused attention, it's this self hypnotic state. Um, you know, it's in the past, it's had different names. Um, I think, um, runners, especially when they've been in that state or arrived at it, whether it's accidentally or on purpose, they know it's a very nice place to be. Yeah, probably for a lot of people, that's one of the reasons they so enjoy running, is because they probably are getting into that state um, and enjoying it want to repeat it again, running's like a vehicle for getting into that state.
0: Yeah 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 I I, I I this is music to my ears so tell me tell me a little bit about um, um your other influences with regards to the kind of psychological aspect of the running field um um, um who has influenced you uh, you know i'm um, um, either runners or athletes or authors um, um other people are, are there any books and authors that have taught you as far as that's concerned and 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 things that have been influential upon you and, and what it was about them that helped you on, on your journey
1: yeah definitely um ever since, as I say, going back right back into, the, I think it was about 2000, I first really started studying this this aspect. Um, and, and the longer I've been in the sport, then the more interested I've got in the mental aspects. Um, there were quite a few, when I first had my what I call my conventional contact with sports psychology, yeah. I did read quite a lot of books, but to be honest, I was usually very disappointed in them. I didn't think they were very practical, they were more theoretical based. Yeah. Um, I didn't feel they were views to they seemed rather jaundiced sort of we had ideas they were putting forward i, I, I yeah. didn't feel excited by them i wasn't stimulated by them um i think one of the first ones i came across that had a bit more to it was the flow in sports by six Shik- cent mihaly that he's got a. It's quite an unusual name he has got yeah um and that was really about being in the zone and yes. it, was, it was a whole book if you like about being in the zone yeah which yeah. i found um which definitely gave you a lot to think about. And I found that was one of the first books that, uh, I mean, it's still on my sort of, still on my table now. It's one of those, it's always on, on the side. Um, then there's your good, your good Self, um someone called Adam Eason. Yeah. Uh, and when I, I think it was in the Running Fitness magazine, you did some articles a few, a year or two ago. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, that was the first time I came in contact with your work, which immediately hit a, hit a chord. And I think that's when I made contact with you.
0: Yeah.
1: And, um, as I and I say with your book, the hypnosis Are running, um, some of running, some especially some of the chapters in there, I found they really hit they hit the mark. But um, most of all is the set of MP3s which I use most often, yeah, because uh, just for convenience and portability and all the rest of it. And that, I found, I realised really, as I mentioned just now, that I was actually I was already doing some self hypnosis. Um, subsequently, I've had two sessions with a uh, you know with a hypnotherapist. Yeah. Um, face to face, just twice. Um, I think well, probably the first time was just to make sure I was, or get the feeling I was doing it right. Or. Um, but yeah, well, I mean, well,
0: evidence does also suggest that um, that, that's, that that self hypnosis, despite you know some people suggesting that there are distinctions with self hypnosis and hetero hypnosis, in particular phenomenologically, um, it's also incredibly useful to have had an experience of hetero hypnosis for precisely the reason that you say, to to have a gauge of of what the experience is, and also to have something to to refer to and. Um and, you know that the two are very much interrelated i think it's it's a very wise move of you and and anybody else to to do such a thing
1: yes i mean i i enjoy it again again
0: i the the overall
1: <clears throat> emotion was a pleasure and pleasantness it was a very very pleasant feeling a very deep relaxation and um I thought, yeah I have a bit more of this please <laughs> you yeah. um, know yeah yes, and then that that was able to as you say lead me into your um your work and your 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 mp3s which i do find very very useful and very practical especially
0: Um, and i was i mean i I was so excited um when we when we touched base um because you know i I mean i work with lots of runners and i've encountered lots of runners and lots of runners that have used used my work and and applied it but uh, you know for, for, for for the the kinds of races that you were doing i was just so excited to hear about the application of it and, and to see real life application in some in, in these these kind of ultra races and these multi-day events um um to see that in real life was so exciting for me um um and and heck i'm guessing that the vast majority of people in my field you know that's that, that that's what we want to hear and um um you know i, I i'm am absolutely delighted that that we have that we get to have these kinds of conversations for example
1: well, yeah, it's, 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 as you say, it's, it's a sort of uh, mutually beneficial, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> you're really. doing research, and we're putting it into practice. Yeah. No, I think it's um, yeah, it's, it's it's very interesting for both parties, and I think it's always good when any kind of um, and especially something that's been scientifically researched, really can be put into the practical arena. Because yeah. as you know, a lot of um scientific research doesn't never gets into the the, the real world, if you like. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Just, go, just going back to the book, yeah. the other two was um. The Psych to Win by N- Nideffer. Ah, yes. Psych to Win, that, that, it's quite, that's quite interesting. And uh, in a way, some of it parallels some of the things you're doing, but yeah, that's a book that stays on my table. Yeah. And um, fairly recently, I've been really interested in, um, this is more of a sort of into the spiritual aspect, I suppose, really, but The Power of Now um, by Eckhart Tolle, um, where it's all about living in the now, and you yeah. know, sort of the, which, of course, what we're talking about, you know, focused attention again, of course it is actually focusing on the now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that I found that very interesting as well. And I find all these sort of things sort of feed off each other.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's that. I mean, I, that's, um, that's very interesting as well, because, um, you know, that's, that's a very highly gr- regarded book um, and very popular. And I think that it's nice to see it being translated into um, um, it, it, it into the application that you use it for yes. um, within your running um, yep. um, w- William obviously you've had to you've had to apply yourself you know greatly within your running career um, um, you know in order to, to hold world records as you do um, um, what, what have been some of the things that have stood out for you some of the more impressive applications of your own mind that you've had to apply perhaps during a race or a training run perhaps a, a, you know against some adversity or something like that?
1: Yeah, good question. Yeah, very much um, as you said, I've applied all these things as I've worked my way up. As you say, from twenty-four hour races, you know, two-day races, six-day races in particular. Um, so obviously, when I went to do the thirty-one hundred, that was like almost three times longer than anything else I'd ever, ever even thought about, let alone done. Um, and what I interestingly, what I, found, I mean, I went there. Although physically, I adapted well to the stress of the event. Um, I noticed after three or four weeks, I was physically adapting to it. You know, I mean, instead yeah. of. Do- Instead of having achieving the um, required 60 miles a day, I was going up to like as high as 68 miles a day, and that was really rewarding. Um, but I'll always remember the event much more as a, as a, as a mental challenge because um, I went through so many um, ups and downs during the race. Uh, partly because, as I say, the, the... so um, yes, yeah, I've had to apply over the years I've, I've been applying all these methods rigorously in all the events i've done including like obviously working my way up from 24 hours like two day races six day races um and I, i've always been really keen on i um, learning about processes that i could actually apply in my races um but obviously all this uh, you know um reached its ultimate in the 3100 race which was like more than well it's more than three times longer than anything else i would ever even thought about let alone um, committed to.
0: Yeah.
1: And physically, interestingly enough, physically, I adapted very well to the 3100 race, And after three or four weeks in particular, I noticed my body getting used to running the 60 plus miles a day. And in fact, I went right up to almost 68 miles a day. Um, so that was really rewarding and, yeah. and fascinating that you know it was nothing to do with my age or anything else. The body responded to the stress placed on it and came up with the goods. However, mentally, I found it a far greater challenge. Um, Especially, I mean, I had a, a, quite a bad week about three weeks into the race. Physically, I had a problem. It slowed me down. And also, I just found the the, the sort of insane duration of the race just literally sort of got to me. You know, this the idea of you know, 52 days. I mean, yeah, it was just, you know, and, you know, when you're coupled with the heat and the humidity, the urban circuit, the noise, you know. I mean, I live in a very, very quiet environment. Um, all these things sort of um, imploded onto me. And I, and I seriously did have, Quite serious mental issues just to keep going and wanting to be at the race. Yeah. So what I found was, I mean, I mentioned it briefly. I when I, mean, I was using all the things I'd learned, my mantras, my, um, I did, I did do a lot of self-talk. But uh, what I found was, I mean, because of the incredible, I mean, eight, we're on the road 18 hours a day. I mean, that is a huge amount of time to fill thinking about anything. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, especially when you're trying not to think about it too much. And what I actually, what I Interestingly enough, what happened was I found more and more I was coming back to this idea of um, the the focus attention on my breathing, but I found that just thinking about breathing on its own, I, I needed something more to go with it. I, again, I just run it. There was too much time to fill. So what what happened was I actually invented a, a new new idea based on this this deep belly breathing. Yeah. And I and I called I gave it a name. I called it my energy ball. Yeah. And I imagined the ball in my stomach or my lower abdomen, and I was going to blow it up, i.e. deep inhalation,
0: yeah.
1: and then this my energy ball, I thought of it as like a friend I had, and um, I had my confidence in this energy ball, and basically what I was doing was it was focused attention on breathing, Yeah. and um, I found that idea, this energy ball, and it was going to get me around the next lap and the next lap, and, and I found that kept me going for days and weeks, you know, Brilliant. Uh, and so that was something I really came up with and used um, in this incredibly long, Long event um, because in effect some of the other techniques broke down because of the duration of the race. Um, but, so I thought but, but that, you
0: had you had you had enough knowledge and understanding and and information to be able to adapt and create such a thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, 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 which which is which is which is fascinating.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean that that idea was based on the knowledge that I needed to to focus on the now on on this step, not the the next step, not the next step or the last step, but the now step as I call it. Yes I needed to break things down into very, very small portions, and this was a, this energy ball idea was enabling, enabling me to do that and as you said, that was based on like 20 years experience in running and the mental side of running.
0: yeah, yeah um, um, it's, been, it's been such an eventful career that you've had and such an oppressive running career. Um, 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 if you could go back to when you started out running um, or when you started out as a runner knowing what you know now, is, is there anything you'd do differently? Um, is there any advice that you'd give, uh, the, you know, that the person you are today would give the younger you um, that could be extended as advice to, to other runners of today?
1: Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what I would advise is, and um, which, which is what I do myself now, and that is to schedule more time um, to devote to mental preparation. in your whole of your running program. obviously everyone, you know, 99% of their time is on their next running session, what they're going to do, how fast they're going to go, how far, and all the rest of it. But I think um, you should really, I would advise everyone to just consider, you know, literally putting in some time each week where they just think about the mental side of it, whether it's sitting in a chair, whether they're listening to something in the car, um, or whether they're doing it while they're actually running. You can, I mean, or, or best of all, in all those three situations, yeah but definitely yeah. schedule in time to think about the mental aspects um as part of your running program yeah yeah that would be my advice and that's what I do now um but yeah if I'd known that a while ago I would have done that from the start yeah
0: yeah i, I that's you know very very valuable and, and incredibly valuable for runners to hear you of all people saying that um, yeah. um, absolutely um um. Tell me William um for anybody listening to this where can people go to learn more about your running and your career and have a good read about um and what you do
1: Well I've got a fairly active uh, website and blog which is at you know uk. um and also I'm on Facebook and Twitter as well
0: Yeah uh, and there there are links to your Facebook and Twitter yeah, on links. your website aren't
1: there? Yeah uh, yeah I mean my blog I mean I have been criticized my blog isn't isn't very personal or Emotional, as such, but it just that, that just tends to be how I, I, how I do it. But I mean, the, the blog it does get a lot of compliments because I do tend to highlight articles and features from the web that are of use and of interest. And I, you know, if I see something, I think, oh, that's really of interest for runners or ultra runners, I will put up my blog. I follow um,
0: it. I follow it av- avidly. I think it's a brilliant blog, and um, um, it, it sends me off in all kinds of very useful directions. Um, um, you know, I, I owe your blog um lots of responsibility for lots of resources that i've encountered um oh. and so i think it's i think it's a great resource
1: well thanks very much i think what i found is i i mean some people do these incredible which are which are very laudable these fantastic race reports when they pour their heart out of how they felt and how their feet were dropping off all the rest of it well i've never been really been able to do that and, and i find that comes out when i do my talks i'm far more um that, well, people have told me that comes out much more when I do my talks. Yeah. Both the emotional side of it and the enthusiasm and the love of running. Yeah. But at the moment, I'm not able to do that in, in a written form. But um, who knows?
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, um, um, the, the, the final thing I wanted to ask you, and I know that I, I hadn't prepared this um, with you. I, um, I read once in one of your blog articles, I think, that when someone had been asking you about the kind of... Um, uh, the kind of fuel that you take on board during your longer races. And I read once that um, that you used and that you eat melted ice cream.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, I'm, I'm,
1: yeah. That still remains that one of my, also in the 3100 as well, ice cream, by the, in the heat of New York, it was mainly melted. <laughs> um, ice cream and double cream actually formed a huge part of my diet in, in, in that race as well. But yeah. I found that um, I mean, ice cream is, is calorie wise, it's about half fat, half carbohydrate. Yeah. Um, it's very, very palatable um, and it's available. And um, I've just found that that's um, one of the, um, the most palatable, most useful foods I can have in my long races.
0: Brilliant. William, thank you ever so much for agreeing to be part of the Hypnosis Weekly uh, podcast. I, I think our listeners are really going to love hearing from you. Um, um, thank you so much once again.
1: Thank you. I really enjoyed it.
0: Great. I really enjoyed that interview and I find William Sitchell to be a real inspiration and I hope that he's an inspiration for those of you that are hypnosis professionals out there too. Um, And what about that tip regarding the ice cream, eh? My wife would never believe me if I told her that without William having gone on the record and saying it. Now then, let's have a look at this week's hypnosis in the news. First up then, I thought I'd refer to an article written in January of 2014 entitled Self-Hypnosis is Key for Endurance Runner Aiming to Set 165 Records by 65th Birthday. It is of course the article that I referred to in the interview with William. It depicts hypnosis very well, and it highlights William's goal setting of 165 records before his 65th birthday, which I think was an important part of the interview. I hope that came through, you know, his intelligent use of goal setting. It also highlights his use of self-hypnosis for dealing with fatigue, what he refers to as sometimes you know, or potentially overwhelming fatigue, and his reference to him spending much of the race in a semi-hypnotic state. It also showcases Williams' attitude. He is quoted as saying, I think I can do it. I run every race as if it's my last, and I push hard to the line. My motivation is self-curiosity, to explore the limits I can push my body and mind to. That fascinates me. Curiosity is something I'd not considered to be useful, or part of a runner's psychological toolkit. Now I'll be looking at ways to advance my own running with the aid of more curiosity, and certainly wanting to... Uh, consider amplifying that within within my own clients. It's a great article featured in a major Scottish newspaper. Do have a read. Now next up is a story. Um, the, the latest series of The Apprentice here in the UK is about to start and guess what? There is a hypnotherapist in the lineup in the Mail Online article entitled A Hypnotherapist, Social Worker and Pub Quiz Director. Meet Lord Sugar's latest batch of Apprentice Hopefuls. So, a lady by the name of Sarah Dales cites her proudest business achievement to date as being setting up her hypnotherapy practice on Harley Street. Now, because she is likely to be getting a lot of people googling her due to her appearance on the show, I wanted to see what account she gives of hypnosis, so I went and looked up her hypnotherapy website, and whilst I found her presentation and communication skills to be really impressive, I found it really disappointing to read and watch how she explains hypnosis in such a dated, incorrect and non-evidence-based fashion. I do tune into the programme, The Apprentice, though I don't think it has much to do with real business these days. It's more a kind of business-themed reality show, in my personal opinion. But I'll be interested to see how this is referenced, um, or rather how hypnosis is referenced um, um, throughout the series in relation to Sarah. And it'll be interesting to see if Sarah uses any of her skills throughout the show. Let's hope she does give a good account of herself and represents the hypnotherapy field well. Finally, there have been a couple of articles in the media about Greg Wallace, the food buff and master chef judge who has used hypnotherapy to help overcome his nerves that have been caused by his recent appearances on Strictly Come Dancing. He is quoted as saying, at one point in the dance, I thought, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing. It was pretty awful. Now, This just goes on to show how cognitions can affect and influence performance. Very relevant to today's edition of this podcast, in my opinion. Greg Wallace was helped with hypnotherapy to help overcome his nerves, but sadly, the help he needed was not extended to his dancing prowess or performance ability. Or, if it was, it all came a bit too late because he was, in fact, the first person to be voted off the show. Links to all these stories are listed under this week's podcast entry on www.hypnosis-weekly.com. Next up, I'm going to talk about hypnosis for running. The world record for the marathon has just been broken. Um, in recent weeks, Dennis Cometo broke the world record for the marathon in Berlin. He won the race in a time of two hours, two minutes and 57 seconds. Uh, the first man to go under two hours and three minutes for the marathon. Previous world record holder until just a couple of weeks ago was a man called Wilson Kip Sang. In an interview recently, Kip Sang was asked How important is mental strength? And his reply was, it's the most important thing because it's like the engine of the body. Believe that you will achieve what you want. You have to be patient and trust that improvement will come if you keep working and never give up. And this is a fascinating insight and something that William discussed. And there's a few points that I wanted to discuss seeing as we're doing a hypnosis for running special. You know, what's Wilson Kipsang talking about? Because we use our legs to run, don't we? And as a result, surely we just need to run and keep on running, as Forrest Gump would say. Now, these days, marathon running happens to be my sport. It may change in the future. But I've played football to a moderately high standard and various sports throughout my lifetime. And I think just about everyone who's ever participated in any kind of sport can remember when our state of mind interfered with a good performance. I'm going to add here that when I refer to the mind, I'm speaking of the mind and body as one. The literature and evidence from the fields of psychology, neuroscience, and psychosomatic medicine do tend to dispute the concept of dualism, that of the mind being distinct to the brain. Um, The mind of a runner, therefore, is considered and thought of as part of the mind-body being one. of course, it's not just about running and endurance performance either. You know, Many men encounter anxiety with sexual situations which affects their ability. For others, similar anxiety may have affected performance in an exam or test of some kind, as a lot of us hypnosis professionals of course are going to be aware of from our work in our therapy rooms. In sports, this might occur in an important competition. You know, Many of us saw how Rory McElroy lost a very healthy lead in the US Masters in Augusta in 2011 before recovering mentally and showing some amazing resilience to go on and win the 2011 US Golf Major in tremendous style a few months later, the US Open. Um, For those of us in the UK, for example, um, we might be familiar with the 1985 World Snooker Championship final that was watched by 19 million viewers beyond midnight, whereby the seemingly undefeatable reigning world champion Steve Davis missed a chance to cut in the final black ball in the final frame before Dennis Taylor potted it. The pressure on both players in that final frame was massive. It clearly affected their ability. My own sporting hero, the former Nottingham Forest and England left back, currently our manager, Stuart Pearce, was usually a man of steel and nerve, but then missed a crucial penalty when stepping up in the Football World Cup semi-final in 1990 but then overcame those demons and scored in the 1996 Euro Championships to the roar of a nation. We've seen our tennis players struggle with those important points in championships, how football teams get affected by the crowd when they play away from home. Now for runners and for those of us interested in working with sports people using hypnosis, you know, this is interesting for us, you know. Of course, sports people, runners, use more than just their legs. There's a great deal of research, evidence, that supports the view that psychological effect factors affect and influence the performance of an endurance runner. For example, Morgan and Pollock in 1977, Morgan and Costill in 1972, Morgan in 2001, O'Connor in 1992. If you want those references in full, send me an email. I think everyone knows these days that the state of mind affects performance, yet it seems quite common for individuals to lack understanding of how to get in control of their own mentality, especially when it comes to sports performance. And running, you know, along with cycling, swimming and triathlon are major growth sports, and this could potentially be a major growth for your own hypnosis business if you are a therapist. You know, I've written before a lot about how people use their mind, how to use hypnosis and cognitive behavioural principles for enhancing running ability and ensuring that the mind of a runner is as equipped and trained for the endurance running event as the body is with all those miles under the belt. Within my own PhD research and within work that I've compiled within my book and various other things, It's amazing to read accounts of athletes and sports people giving the reasons behind the wide variation in their sporting performance and their results. Very, very few, and that includes top elite athletes, actually perform with major consistency. You know, I know within my own circles of runners, there are many, many anecdotal observations that people offer up regarding their endurance and running performance. You know, injuries and health issues aside, the vast majority of accounts that I've encountered in my consulting rooms, because, you know, I work with a lot of runners, or on a personal level at races and events, suggest that most runners believe their own differences in performance are due to parallel variations in their state of mind. Many runners that I encounter, you know, so this is not really scientific, but they tend to suggest that it's 50-50, physical and mental. And I think when you listen to what William had to say, you know, he stressed the importance. When you listen to Wilson Kip saying, you know, former marathon world record holder, you know, they say that mental performance is just as important, if not more important, than the physical aspect. And, however, it's a very low percentage of training time that people actually spend on psychological skills and mental abilities required for peak performance. It's rare, you know, to encounter an athlete or sports person who spends a good deal of time or effort on their psychological skills and the mental side of training. So, you know, I think for any hypnosis professional, it's important for us to recognise that the mind is as important as the body when it comes to endurance performance in particular. If we look at the very famous Roger Bannister, who's sighted here, there and everywhere due to his achievement of being the first man to run the four-minute mile. You know, on the 6th of May, 1954, he ran the mile in 3 minutes and 59 seconds. Many runners had got close to that time, but many questioned whether it was actually possible. Swedish runner, Gunda Hägg, had run 4.01.4, and his fellow runner, Arne Andersson, had run 4.01.6. Their countryman and sports psychologist of the time, Dr. Lars-Erik Younestahl, had openly stated that perhaps Haig and other runners were convinced that the four-minute mile was impossible and therefore there was a mental barrier stopping runners achieving it. Bannister, however, was confident that it could be done and later on he wrote, though physiology may indicate respiratory and circulatory limits to muscular effort, psychological and other factors beyond the ken of physiology set the razor's edge of defeat and victory and determine how close an athlete approaches the absolute limits of performance. There's a quote from 1956 from Bannister. Once Bannister had run the sub four minute mile many others followed in rapid succession and it made sure that runners and other athletes started to look at their psychology as an important way of becoming a better runner or athlete. Now of the research and studies that's available to us today, we can learn a great deal about the importance of psychological factors when it comes to running. Morgan and Costill in 1972, as well as Morgan and Pollock in 1977, looked at the psychological characteristics of runners. And while they did show that runners tended to have notably lower anxiety levels than other people, it was unclear as to whether that was due to them actually being a runner. You know, because there is evidence to suggest running is good for mental health or to other conditions. Elite marathon runners have been shown in these studies to have what's termed as the iceberg profile of a mood state. And earlier studies suggested that these runners tended to lean more towards the introvert than extrovert. Despite some exceptions and evidence to suggest that extroverts can actually perceive high intensity exertion as less effortful. The studies did show that elite runners all tend to experience lower than average levels of depression, anxiety, anger and confusion. So I think it's safe to say that if you look after your general levels of mental health, you'll be equipped to run well, or vice versa, I suppose. There is so much available to us in the field of hypnosis and cognitive sports psychology that can enhance and advance a range of facets of the mental health. Studies have shown that many runners, as we discussed with William, many runners use dissociative cognitive strategies to aim to aid them when they're running. And these dissociative strategies can help reduce discomfort and distress when running. This sort of strategy, however, has also been shown to potentially contribute to injury and illness. You know, because you're distracting yourself and not aware of what's properly happening with the body. It tends to, therefore, make sense to use these sorts of strategies um, 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 in a choice fashion. An associative cognitive strategy, however, helps the runner to check in with the body, keep a record of how it is and how it's responding accordingly. Elite runners do tend to use both strategies when required and especially use associative strategies when they're racing. I think there's a wide number of other things for us to consider. The evidence seems clear for the application of psychological skills and strategies for advancing running performance. Now if we think about hypnosis more specifically then, you know I can remember when Paul McKenna was working with uh, the, the boxer Steve Collins and Nigel Benn. Several of their opponents claimed that this was unfair. If a runner were to be given drugs to overcome pain so that they could compete, Aside from being dangerous, many would deem this inappropriate and so there's a similar argument that hypnosis ought not be used for the same purpose. I don't think that's so. It must be said that across the board with hypnosis research in sporting performance, it's been difficult to research the differences between suggestion and hypnosis because to isolate hypnosis completely in the studies has been challenging. Studies throughout the decades have shown that suggestion can enhance muscular strength just as well as hypnosis, and in 1966 Barber found that using hypnosis without suggestions for improved performance didn't necessarily improve muscle strength. Additionally, Barber showed that motivational suggestions alone could be used as a means of building muscular strength, and so hypnosis was again shown to be tough to prove as effective in this regard. However, Both self-hypnosis and suggestion can be taught to individuals to advance running performance and athletic performance. Much research has gone on since Barber's work of the 60s, and the debate continues. Sheer muscular strength is not necessarily considered the domain of runners, so perhaps we can look at other aspects. A summary of findings stated in reviews by Morgan in 1972, 1980, 85, 93, 96, more recently by Williamson in 2001, tend to show that the following can be said about the use of hypnosis for improving running. Firstly, case studies involving efforts to enhance athletic performance using hypnosis have been universally successful. Though how many hypnotherapists or journal articles are going to be written about failures, I suppose, right? Perception of effort during exercise, as I mentioned in the interview, can be systematically increased and decreased with hypnotic suggestion, even if the actual workload is kept at the same level. I think teaching clients how to alter their perception of effort using hypnosis is a key thing that we can offer. Suggestions given in hypnosis when not exercising can influence heart rate, respiratory rate, oxygen uptake, blood flow, carbon dioxide production. And so using hypnosis as an application for any of these types of applications are likely to help speed up recovery and improve health for runners or any athletes. There's a body of evidence to support the use of hypnosis for lowering anxiety and blood pressure, as well as overcoming pain, which all have responsible applications for runners. Hannin in 1978 showed that some athletes perform better when anxiety levels are high, low or usual, so an ability to regulate them and our intensity levels has been seen as desirable in a wide number of studies. Hypnosis can help with that with the aid of relaxation skills, So. You know, learning how to set the optimum intensity levels, deal with problematic anxiety, and healthily deal with pain. Self-hypnosis skills have a wide body of evidence that's probably too long for me to go into great depth here today. But when accompanied with cognitive strategies, evidence-based protocols, and solid sporting psychology, self-hypnosis absolutely can advance performance and enjoyment greatly for runners. There is evidence, therefore, that we can advance our running ability using our minds. And my main aim for today was to suggest that to you hypnosis professionals, that not only can it be good for our field for you to raise the profile of that, but also good for your businesses, for you to help people and, you know, help advance their success as far as this is concerned. this week's fact of the week, although this week it's more a collection of facts around a central theme. If we look at some really solid studies um, um, on goal setting in sport, which I thought would be a really good topic based upon our uh, central theme of hypnosis for running in this edition. If we look at studies of Burton, Weinberg, Eukelsen, Weigand, 1998, Philby, Maynard, Graydon, 1999, Weinberg, Burke and Jackson, 1997, and a meta-analysis by Kylo and Landers in 1995, we can see that when it comes to goal setting in sport, there are consistent notions throughout the research. Firstly, the vast majority of athletes do use some form of goal setting as a means of enhancing their performance and find it to be fairly effective. Secondly, athletes that engage with a variety of goal setting strategies get the best results in measured performance. Thirdly, the main reason for setting goals is that it focuses and directs the individual. Fourth, the main barriers preventing individuals from using goal setting systems are lack of time, stress, tiredness and other pressures. Fifth, goals are more effective if they are moderately difficult challenging but kept realistic. Sixth, athletes benefit more when they have short-term goals and long-term goals. And finally seventh, having an action plan to accompany a goal makes it more effective. So that's the general opinion of the research and the stance of the research when it comes to goal setting, which was an important point raised in our discussion today. And though it's not a hypnosis factoid of the week, I thought we'd have a goal setting set of facts for the week in a special edition. Why not hey? If you want a reminder of our ongoing competition, do go and listen to either episode eight or nine of Hypnosis Weekly and keep tuned for me using that special word, or perhaps I used it today. In our next edition, as previously promised, I'll be welcoming the very lovely Dr. Brian Rowett, author, hypnotherapist, speaker and trainer who was a former sportsman himself in Australia before settling here in the UK. I'll be interviewing him and we'll be discussing some of the funt- fundamental elements of his work using metaphor in therapy. I have many more exciting guests here in future weeks. We'll be discussing, debating, celebrating and above all, remaining friends. And to remain, to repeat. All the references made in the discussions, along with the related links today, are posted at each episode on the Hypnosis Weekly website, www.hypnosis-weekly.com. I absolutely welcome your thoughts, comments, suggestions and questions. Do please message me or add them on the Hypnosis Weekly website. I'll make sure they're addressed, answered and explored accordingly please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter, anywhere else, and do consider giving us a rating on iTunes to really help us reach the hypnosis field. My thanks go to the very amazing, multi-world record-holding William Sitchell. My thanks to you for tuning in. The heavens are pouring down upon me here in my office as I record this. I'm probably sounding slightly disorientated, but my name is Adam Eason. This has been Hypnosis Weekly. Until next time... Goodbye for now.